listening to the Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. I am your host, Alex Guyovich Protich, back again. Be sure to listen to this podcast on YouTube, Podbean, and Spotify, and follow our Twitter and Instagram pages. All right, first thing I'd like to get into before we get to the Alan Hahn interview, leaving them nameless, someone commented on my Twitter the other day stating I don't have an opinion. However, I respectfully disagree with that tweet. And the person who made it. But I'm going to show them and I'm going to prove them wrong. That I do have an opinion. And some of them are unpopular. Now I get it. I do have some opinions that agree with the public analysts and sportscasters. But not all of them are based on that. And I have my own opinions. One unpopular opinion I have. I think Chase Young is overrated. Obviously he's destined to be the second pick. Maybe... First pick in this draft. We don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. But it most likely he's going to be a second pick. Um, he did have 16 sacks last year at Ohio State. The beginning of the 2019 season. I actually thought high of Chase Young. You know, I thought he was going to be something good for the NFL. And I think he could be. Even though that the NCAA punished him for a crap reason. And he received a two game suspension. The final three games of the season, or the final three games that he played, here are his stats. Now, November 30th against Michigan, Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. He had no stats whatsoever. Now, I don't know if that's because he either didn't play that game, or he just didn't record any stats. Um, Maybe he recorded pressures, and I don't know that. Or as I said, maybe he didn't play. But if truly he did play against Michigan, I think he did. Because I remember Carl Banks commenting about it. But anyway, this was one of the Big Ten teams that they faced. They also faced Penn State, which he rocked. I think he had three, four sacks. I think he had three sacks against Penn State. Obviously, then they faced Michigan. Didn't record any stats. That's one of the better teams in college football. Now, obviously, they didn't make the playoffs. But that's a little misleading when you go to the NFL and you don't actually do it against the better college teams. Next week, against Wisconsin. Now, earlier in the season, he did have four sacks against them. However, the second time they faced each other on December 7th, he had one and a half tackles for a loss and six total tackles and two passes deflected. Now, passes deflected, pretty good. Tackle for a loss, okay. I'm not expecting him to get a sack every game, but I kind of expected more than no sacks when it comes to Chase Young. Speaking of the fact that, you know, the first time he played against them, he had four sacks. And I just think that that's a little unbalanced when he faced Wisconsin. Now, you go to the Fiesta Bowl. As I said, pressures, I have to watch more tape on him. And I have to... Probably research a little more with pressures, but I'm not counting that right now. Totaled that game. Now, this is obviously the Fiesta Bowl. They lost, but beside the point, December 28th, he only totaled two tackles. This is a team, meaning Clemson, that went up against LSU in the championship game. Now, obviously, LSU won because of Ed Orgeron and Joe Burrow, but that's beside the point. Clemson almost got to the championship. And Chase Young couldn't do anything. He totaled two tackles against Clemson. That's not very good. And be honest. Listen. 
16 sacks is great. But if I'm an NFL scout, I would probably research a little more and have an outside thought about him. Because he couldn't do it against the better teams of college football. Now, obviously, they didn't face Alabama, but you just see Clemson is the best team they faced. And he only totaled two tackles. And as I said, I don't know with pressures, but if he only got two tackles, then I think he didn't get many pressures. My second opinion. That's going to prove that person wrong. I think the Dolphins are going to settle for Justin Herbert. How do I think this? According to several reports, obviously we know that Miami and Tua didn't have a great phone call or relation, however they talked. He also failed two team physicals about a week ago or about a few weeks ago. However, a lot of people think that Tua is still going to Miami. However, I'm not ruling that out, but I think that has a better chance of happening than Chase Young going to NYG and falling that low. But... To the point of my opinion, I don't think Chris Greer in the front office will take a chance on somebody who is still injured. Now, he could be possibly healthy by the start of training camp, or maybe the start of the preseason. I mean, after all, that's the reason they tank, the tank, you know, tank for Tua thing. And I also don't think that they're going to reach for a quarterback like Jordan Love at 5. They would have to trade down, and they do have a lot of draft picks. And, you know, why can't you accumulate more? Probably. But... In the sense of those scenarios, I just think Herbert makes sense at five for the Dolphins. So to say that I don't have an opinion is simply bold. You know, I have a lot of opinions that are similar to those of the public, but I also have my own opinions, and some of them people disagree with. And that's fine, but, you know, I have an opinion. Earlier today, we had Alan Hahn on from 98.7 ESPN, who co-hosted Barton Hahn with Bart Scott. Here's the interview from earlier. And now we are joined by 98.7 Barton Hans co-host, Alan Hahn. How you doing today, Alan? I'm good. Good. How are you? I'm good. All right. Uh, before we get into some big blue, and I actually have some questions about the Knicks, uh, obviously during quarantine, you've been doing your show from home uh, with Bart Scott, So, and probably you're probably spending more time with family. What else have you been doing during quarantine that you usually would not do? What have you been catching up on? Um, but really it's, it's catching up on old games, which I think a lot of people are doing, watching a lot of stuff that, you know, to, you want to remember some of the real, the classics that you end up talking about and debating about anyway. So I found myself going back and watch like, like for example, a giant's perspective, they've several times now I've seen the giants Patriots 07 Super Bowl uh, that we always reference one of the biggest upsets in history. And, you know, that's one where you love to relive it and go back and, and watch moments like that. So I've been doing that, too, because there's, there's nothing like remembering, you know, like you always feel like you remember moments, but then you watch them years later and there's little things that you might have missed or forgotten about that come back again. And so I guess I've been catching up on my history. Yeah. Uh, what I would say about that is obviously I'm 16. I wasn't really old enough to watch that 2007 game but when it was on the other day i decided to watch it and you know i saw the moments everybody's talking about of course i knew the helmet catch and then the burris touchdown moments later right right yeah we had plaxico actually on our show recently and he he told the story about how he has that football 
And that's the same football that Tyree caught on his helmet, and Tyree keeps asking him for it because it's such a famous <laughs> catch. And Black said no, because that mine's the game-winning touchdown. Mine's the bigger catch, so he <laughs> kept the football, which is a great story. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's perfect for guys like you, I think, as well, because I've always said this, including the Jordan-LeBron debate, is a lot of people that talk about LeBron James have never really seen Jordan play live. So you find that, you know, it's one thing to watch a highlight. It's another thing to watch an actual game and watch what a player has gone through. So, I, 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 you know, this time, take advantage of it if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that and, you know, catch up on games from the past and make you smarter about the future. Yeah. Okay, let's get some big blue here. I think on, I think it was MSG 150, maybe. I think you and a couple of your other studio analysts, I think you guys were talking to Joe Judge at one point. A lot of Giants fans have been complaining that, you know, they haven't had a stern guy since Tom Coughlin, and that Ben McAdoo didn't really have control of the locker room. What do you see from this guy from a leadership and culture perspective? Well, you know, one thing you can, you're always concerned with is that he does what Eric Mangini did with the Jets. Um, I think Matt Patricia has been a little different. You know, Josh McDaniels hasn't been, uh, has, didn't have a great first time around as a head coach. Bill, Bill O'Brien is the one guy that's had some, some success, even though people argue that his, his uh, decision-making with the roster uh, leaves a lot to be desired. But, you know, that Belichick tree does have a lot of uh, coaches who have come off of it and you've wondered – why do they try to emulate him to that point, to the extreme that he is? Judge, I worry, because in his in his press conference, I thought he came off as that regular guy. Um, a lot of things he said really got you motivated. You were pretty excited about the things he was talking about, and he really looked like somebody that was genuine and believing everything he said. But and then after that, of course, because he talked about Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and others, you feel like, oh, there's that Belichick thing where you're trying too hard to be – the coach that you worked for and uh, obviously he wants to emulate be your own man um and so i worry about how that's going to affect players when they first meet him because i know that really hurt eric mangini who privately is, is a terrific guy but when he was a head coach of the jets he tried to put on this front that no one bought and i think joe judge privately is a great guy you just wonder if he's going to put on that front too or is he just going to be himself because one thing we we learn in New York is that, you know, if you're genuine, we buy it. We believe in you. But if you're somebody we feel like is putting on a front, you'll lose us quickly and you'll never get us back. Yeah, the New York media is very harsh. Obviously, Thursday is draft day. Who do you think the Giants should take, an offensive tackle or is that Isaiah Simmons? I'll tell you what, you know, Bart, you know, Bart knows his linebackers. Obviously, he was one. And, and he's watched a lot of tape. He's going to do some of the coverage. And he and I have talked about the fact that Isaiah Simmons is the would be the highest rated player on the board at four if the draft goes as we think it will go. Let's say the Lions don't trade out and they take Akuda, um, and then obviously Burrow goes one and uh, uh, Daniels goes. I mean uh, Chase Young goes two. You're definitely going to have it set up that way where now then you have Isaiah Simmons uh, there at four. Do they really need a linebacker, though? Is this a draft for need, or do you draft who the board tells you is the best player available? And, you know, Bart has been watching film, and he doesn't even know if, if Simmons is that good or could translate to being that good at the NFL level. And the Giants have linebackers. You know, they just paid for one in Blake Martinez, and, and that kid Connolly had a nice year before he got hurt last year. So he thinks, and I think too, 
that if you want to do the right thing for that offense, especially for Daniel Jones, the tackle's the way to go. But I got to ask you, you're, you're a diehard Giants fan. Don't you think this is the one time for Gettleman that you probably should trade out of the four and get some more draft assets and still put yourself in a position to get one of those tackles because you don't have to go too far out of the top ten or even uh, too far out of the top five, I should say, uh, to still get a player you want. This, to me, would be the time. Don't you agree? I would I would agree with you there. Um, I don't care if they do take a tackle or if they take Simmons. Personally, I would trade back with the Chargers or maybe the Dolphins because if you think about it, they did lose draft capital in that Leonard Williams trade that really didn't need to be... Uh, exactly. Need to, need to be lost you know they could have signed him in free agency but they decided to trade for him when they weren't going anywhere so i don't know there and plus um to be honest i could com- kind of compare this to the saquon barkley quarterback debate in 2018 because you got an athletic person not like barkley but you could compare the simula- uh the situation similar because of how athletic simmons was in college and then you go the need offensive tackle but those guys at offensive tackle are pretty talented so I really don't care personally what route they do go. I just want it to be the best for the team. Plus, uh, I think Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons is a good playmaker, and this defense doesn't have enough of them, last, especially last yeah. year. Yeah, and obviously the versatility is important as well. But, you know, again, I, you know, I'm looking at this is a, this is a, a draft for, for offensive tackles as much as it is a draft for wide receivers. And so – you know, if the Giants have a need and, and, you know, Solder obviously is getting older, you're paying him a ton, you have a chance to get out in a year from, from his deal. You know, it's something to look at. Uh, I, I just think, you know, the tackle might be the way to go, but I also think getting some more draft capital by moving out of the four when everybody is excited about what, whether Tua or Herbert or even Love or anybody at the quarterback position, if someone wants to be aggressive and move up and make sure they get the quarterback they want, the Giants are pretty much in a prime position to help them and help themselves. One debate that really hasn't been talked about on the Michael K show was talked about and this one beat writer for uh, New Jersey North Jersey.com, Art Stapleton, talked about it. Saquon Barkley was drafted in 2018 and that was part of Dave Gettleman's thing for winning now in 2018. Obviously, they're in the middle of a rebuild and running backs' careers don't span as long as quarterbacks or any other players. Do you think the Giants blew the Saquon Barkley pick? It's funny. I go around and around with that one because you're looking at a draft that year with Eli reaching where he was reaching in his career. That was your quarterback draft. You know, that was a big one, obviously. And you saw what you got out of that from an MVP and Lamar Jackson, who everybody seemed to pass on, uh, to Sam Darnold, who some of the experts still think will have the best career out of the whole group. Baker Mayfield went number one. Josh Allen's been terrific in Buffalo. Josh Rosen was, uh, I, I just think he ended up in the wrong place. And then the same thing happened in Miami, and he still get moved around. But it was a, a quarterback-heavy draft. And if you were a team that needed a quarterback or needed to transition out of a quarterback, like the Giants had to get ready with Eli, that would have been the time to do it at number two. They opted to go instead with best player available, which Saquon's a talent. It's not not mistaken. But you're, you got to wonder, after seeing what happened with Todd Gurley, uh, with LA and now they've moved on from him Christian McCaffrey's contract is gigantic and you know Saquon's eyes are, are you know with dollar signs in him now after seeing that and Zeke Elliott as well and what he's got from Dallas and the question is this 
when was the last time a team won a Super Bowl because of a running back? You know, that's a huge question, too. Other teams seem to interchange that position. The Patriots are, are notorious for it. They'll just keep rotating in and out of running backs because you can't. So and I, I do think that that is something that the Giants are going to – that, that question is going to have to be answered in the next couple of years because they're going to have to pay Saquon. But if Daniel Jones turns into the franchise quarterback you wanted and with those two plus a good offensive line and some good weapons on offense, you can win a Super Bowl the next you know, five years with these guys, then it paid off. But that's a huge question that needs to be answered before I think you can say it was a mistake. But do I think going back, you might want to redo that? Yeah, I do think that they might want to redo that. But I don't think we can definitively say it until we see what comes of these next couple of years and if the Giants can have success with these two players. Obviously, since 2018, when Dave Gettleman came in, uh, he's been making a lot of trades. He's been making a lot of questionable moves, but he's been doing the drafting part really well. Do you think if they don't sit exceed the four win mark this year with joe judge do you think he's gone no i don't think you fire a coach in his first year especially an inexperienced one like that you've got to be all in if you're making that kind of decision going with somebody who's never really held a high position before um i mean gettleman oh gettleman yeah Yeah. so yeah i'm sorry yeah you said with joe judge and i thought yeah no gettleman yeah i think he's on the clock there's no question about it and, and now, of course, it brings you to that um, so, that cycle of, and this is so Jets of the Giants, really, if you think about it, is having a head coach in place and then needing to hire a general manager when usually the general manager wants to be part of hiring his head coach. And you don't want to have that kind of situation. Now, that what the Jets did was they fired their GM and then brought in a, a GM that knew the head coach, so they had a relationship and some synergy and maybe that's what they end up looking for with Joe Judge. But, yeah, I, I think you have to. If Gettleman's plan doesn't work um, and this is a struggling team and you don't see improvement in any of these players, I do think he's the next to go. And, and I actually think ownership has made that pretty clear. I'm going to move into uh, the Knicks a little bit, a rather also disformed organization of late. Uh, David Fisdale was brought to uh, – Obviously, New York, he didn't ha- uh, they didn't handle him well because yeah. of, you know, they thought he was going to bring free agents here, uh, like Kevin Durant and all those players. Who do you suggest the Knicks go after as a head coach and why? Well, the rumors are Tom Thibodeau and because of his relationship with Leon Rose. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, a good fit for New York because New York loves defense. I think when you're talking about defense, you know, that's what you're looking for is a guy that's one of the best at it. And that's his, his history is that, how great uh, his teams have been defensively. Even when he went to Minnesota, you know, he turned that around very quickly. He's going to want to have a say though, in, in the players that he gets. And I don't know if he's somebody that will have patience for a rebuild and going with young players. So that's something that I think is worth noting is there's going to be other teams looking for coaches and the Brooklyn Nets are one of them. So you watch that and you see if maybe he ends up going to a team that's a little more established. But if that's if he's not, you know, the top choice, my favorite is Jeff Van Gundy. I think, you know, you complete the circle. He's proved, He's been in the league. He stays connected to the league, obviously, from broadcasting. I'd love to see it. I think he'd be great. The other one is somebody who's a friend of mine, and I'd love to see this as well, and it's Kenny Atkinson who can develop. We know that. 
and they have a lot of young players on that team. And he's has he has a track record of getting the most out of young players and developing them. And so I do think that Kenny would be a great fit as well. In this short season, we saw some promise out of R.J. Barrett. He did struggle at times, and obviously the injury held him up at times. But uh, unlike Kevin Knox, well, Kevin Knox, he hasn't really had the first round talent around him. Do you think it's too early to give up on him? And if not, should the Knicks move him this offseason? I think it is too early. He's just 20 years old. I don't think he really knows who he is as an NBA player, and there hasn't been a great deal of guidance for him. I don't think he has a clue. So, I, for all of them, I just feel like they're all so damn young, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Can, you could probably uh, relate to it. Is that you're, you know, you're a young guy and you're still learning. Like, let's say you're trying to get into this business and you're trying to give yourself experience by doing a podcast. And how would you like it if someone said, you know what? You don't have it, kid. It's over. We're moving on from you. And you're like, I'm just, I'm still learning. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. So I do think the Knicks are in that position where I wouldn't give up on on a young player. The only way you really move on from young players is if you can get an established all-star. And the uh, and the team that's trading him is saying, no, no, we, we got to get, you know, we need, uh, we, we need one of your young players. We're targeting this guy. You know, then you might have to say, all right, well, if I'm getting – you know, an all-star, then I'll give up a young player or two. But I wouldn't just give up on them and dump them for nothing because I do think if you're 21 or under, it's too early to give up on a player like that, especially if he's a top 10 pick. And really, in most cases this season, I guess once Fisdale was gone, we didn't really see a lot of him. He didn't really get a lot of playing time. Yeah, it's interesting. They were making him earn it, you know, I think in his second year. The first year, he was they just gave him playing time and let him play through mistakes. Uh, but in that second year, with more veterans around, I think they were pretty much telling him that he's, you know, you've got to learn how to earn your time and compete for it. And, uh, you know, he had to take some lumps. You know, sometimes you do take a step back in that second year if you're not ready yet. He wasn't ready. So, you know, I do think that was part of the plan. But whoever is going to the coach going forward has got to look at him and make him a project and see, all right, let's get something out of him. He's had two off seasons. This is this will be his third year. What kind of player do we think he can be at this point? And if he's if at that point he doesn't reach his, you know, get, show you potential, you know, then maybe you can move on. One of the reasons Fisdale was brought here, as I mentioned, was to get the big players, and they had seventy four million dollars in cap space last year. Uh, Regarding this offseason, should they try to get trade targets like Joel Embiid or Donovan Mitchell or sh- and take a stronger approach of free agency or just stay in the lowdown and sign low-tier free agents? No, I think, well, they're not going to have the ability to do that uh, as much. I think, like you said, trading for is what they'll have to do with the cap space because there won't be as many big-name free agents out there. Uh, no one expects Giannis Antetokounmpo to go anywhere. So I, I don't know if you should – if you you can't attack it that way anymore because I think what we've learned over the last couple of years is that when you have cap space but you haven't you don't have anything established with your franchise you're not going to attract any players so I think it's going to have to be if you want to jump out of a rebuild and become more of a now team then you've got to trade for players and some of the names you gave me I, I thought you know Donovan Mitchell to me is one I'll definitely keep an eye on because it sounds like he's not happy with Rudy Gobert and maybe he tries to force his way out of Utah and come home, play for the Knicks. So I'm, I'm looking at all those scenarios and seeing if you can make a deal like that. 
one final question. We're going to combine the two topics into one. Obviously, the Knicks and the Giants have endured a lot of losing in the last couple of years and have went through several head coaches. Um, do you see any similarities to both franchises and which is which franchise is closer to a playoff spot? That's a great question because they're both historic franchises in New York when you think about where they both began you know, way back uh, in the early years, um, you know, the Yankees, the Giants, you know, the Knicks, the Rangers are really the original teams that are still playing today when it comes to New York sports history, the oldest franchises. So I do think, and, and the Giants and Knicks have always had a relationship. I mean, if you look back actually in history, um, the guy who founded the Knicks, Ned Irish, worked for the Giants as a, I think he was in the, uh, like in, press relations or something like that. And he, he actually, I think, worked with, uh, with the Mara family to, to help get him established on the other side with the garden, like make a connection so he could uh, help, help get that team, get the Knicks franchise going. So they've always been, been linked forever. Um, the Giants, of course, when you look at the ability of the NFL to, to turn a team around and, and win quicker, I think it just gives the Giants the the edge. The Knicks are a very young team. Now they can turn around quickly if they make a handful of trades and bring in a couple of stars, and suddenly you have a team that can contend. But that's a lot harder to do these days than ever before. So I'll give the edge to the Giants. I feel like the Giants could get back quicker, mainly because you do have some pieces established, and now they've got to you know they've got to put it together and they've got to win. While the Knicks still very much in a raw state where they've got. Players that are quality and, and Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett, and a lot of question marks, and then some uncertainty, of course, with the head coaching position. Well, I thank you for coming on, and uh, especially you know you you have the show and everything, and you're a sportscaster analyst, and you know I'm just a 16 year old doing a podcast. Well, you're on your way. That's all that matters. So my pleasure. It's good to talk to you. That was Alan Hahn of 98.7 ESPN. Be sure to listen to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Podbean. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our social media pages. This is Alex GP signing off. See you tomorrow, everyone.